You're listening to Heretic by Rukis. This is chapter 5. Some men just need killing. I headed downstairs, immediately greeted by the sight of half a dozen fully uniformed men heading towards the great room, with more filing in behind. They were a mixed lot. I stood and watched the crowd coming in through the back door of the mansion for a good minute or so, trying to get a feel for what to expect. Some of them were clearly pedigrees. You could see not only in their insignia and the uniforms they wore to distinguish themselves as officers, but in their bearing and breeding. I'd served under many pedigree officers, captains and admirals over my career, of course, but I'd never seen so much brass in one place. It was admittedly a little intimidating. Amongst them, though, were a decent amount of what must have been first mates, lower-class officers, and perhaps some as simple as trusted fellows. I saw quite a few men amongst the lot who looked more like the type of boys I used to serve with, and most of them weren't even uniformed. Well, Lucius had always seemed the type to me that kept company with men based more on merit than breeding, especially where navy men and military men were concerned. I watched a little while longer from my inconspicuous spot in the darkness beside one of the staircase entranceways until I was sufficiently certain my confidence was where it needed to be. These weren't like the pedigrees at the balls and galas. These were my kind of men. I was on equal footing with them. And someday, as Lucius had said, I might command them, which meant I needed to make the best possible first impression. Not too humble, not too arrogant. Strong and sure of myself, but not overbearing. I steeled myself. I began to step out into the hall, adjusting my cufflinks as I did, and then I heard the pounding of footsteps on the stairs behind me, and Johannes was suddenly pushing past me, hurrying into the crowded hall beyond. Something in his eyes stopped me in my tracks. The man was hurried, and turning his muzzle sharply around the room, as though on the trail of something, or someone. And he looked angry. I saw the moment he fixed his eyes on his prey, and followed his line of sight to a stocky tricolor spaniel. The tall wolfhound shoved his way through the crowd, towards the pedigree, who spotted him about four or five seconds before Johannes made it to him. And I swear, the spaniel smirked. And then Johannes was on him, shoving a hand against the other man's shoulder and pushing him backwards into one of the doors of the servant hallways. They shared a few words I couldn't hear and then Johannes pushed open the door and bulled the man inside. The whole thing happened quickly, and it looked as though the wolfhound had been trying to be discreet about it, but there was no masking the antagonism there. Several of the guests noticed, murmurs shifting up from the crowd. What in the hell? The pieces fell together all at once, and my eyes widened. That had to be him, this Lord Irving Lucius had spoken of the sire of Delilah's pups. I clenched my fist. In the room beyond me, I knew Lucius was waiting, expecting me. There were a few dozen men here that might someday put their lives in my hands, but I was tired of everything in this family being drawn behind a veil. Before I took up rank in the Denholm's fleet, I needed to understand the family I was going to be a part of. I deserved to. I couldn't stand being in the dark anymore. I couldn't shake the feeling that something about all of this was terribly wrong, that Delilah's happiness, and perhaps even her life, were being toyed with, and I was playing some unwitting role in all of it. 
If they wouldn't tell me what sort of a relationship she'd had with this man, I was going to find out on my own. They had made me part of all of this. It was time I got the full story. I ducked back into the dining room and made my way for the servants' entrance, where they brought the food up from the kitchen. I'd gotten to know the servants' hallways fairly well since I'd move in here on account of getting to know the servants themselves better. I related far better with them than I did to almost anyone else around this place. Besides, the cook, an old calico woman with a waistline I couldn't wrap my arms around, was exceptionally good at her craft and often snuck me scraps in between meals. I fell back on my guerrilla training as I slunk through the dimly candlelit passageways, stepping on the pads of my feet and lifting my claws with considerable strain so they didn't sound on the wooden floorboards. The servants' hallways were only meant for the staff here to move from place to place unseen when they were carrying about their mundane everyday tasks. The walls were poorly painted, flimsy and hardly soundproof, but the muted noises from the party in the main room helped cover my footfalls. I crept around what I knew to be the staircase entranceway, towards the crawl space that separated the great room from the back landing where all the guests had been coming in. The servants rarely went here, but it would get me close to the great room's access hallway and the lamp closet, which is where Johannes had dragged that man towards. I stopped when I heard the distinctive brogue of Cuthbert's voice, answered a moment later by another. The man's voice was considerably calmer than I expected it to be. It stunk of self-satisfaction, even from a distance. I even thought I heard him chuckling. I leaned against the wall of the crawl space, pressing my ear to the thin wood. As soon as I did, the conversation became far more clear, although it was obvious I'd come in halfway through something key. Invitation was made to the entire Brackenwall fleet. If your lord meant to exclude me, perhaps he should have annotated as such, the spaniel spoke. There was a sudden shudder of the wall, and my ears rang as someone was shoved, hard, into the shelves I knew lined the interior of the lamp closet. I heard a shattering noise, a scuffle of claws and hardwood, and then another shudder. It should be clear to you that you are not welcome in this house. Cuthbert's snarl was evident in his voice, and it sent chills down my spine. I knew without a doubt that he was the one pinning that noble up against the shelves inside the closet. I had never heard him this angry before. Rightfully, I should be living in this house, the spaniel's voice replied, some hint of his calm gone, likely because there was a very strong, very intimidating wolfhound pinning him against the wall, probably painfully. I smirked, at a boy, Johannes. Rightfully, you should be at the gallows, Johannes bellowed not bothering to check his voice as much as he probably should have, considering the crowded house just beyond these walls. The man was losing his restraint. What the hell was all this about? I was honestly considering stepping away from the wall. I'd heard arguments like this before, and they usually ended at sword point, and if he ran him through, I was on the other side of the thin plaster. Now, that would require a crime. The man's voice was starting to slither through my head in uncomfortable ways. Something about the way he spoke just set my fur on end, and I didn't know why. The only crime perpetrated here was against my honour, and you have your whoring heiress to blame for that. Oh God. Cold sunk into my bones. This man was no lover of Delilah's. 
Up until now, I'd been wondering at the girl's wisdom, at throwing herself on someone this arrogant. I hadn't even considered. If you... I heard the restraint slipping from Johannes's tone, word by word. So much as speak, one more slight against that girl. Accusations are an ugly thing, there was a growl in the spaniel's tone, and dreadfully unfair when you get right down to it. It all comes down to belief, and who warrants more of it, from a judge. Who do you think they'll believe, you island filth? The wall creaked as the spaniel's girth pushed back into it. His voice grew tighter, and it occurred to me now that Johannes must have had a paw clamped partially over his throat. You're an unmarried, pregnant heiress who lied about her condition for months, or an honoured captain of the King's Armada. You are going to die by this family's hands, Irving. Johannes's voice was low, barely above a harsh whisper. That is an inevitability. The only question is when. I felt the wall suddenly bow back to its former position and heard the distinctive sharp sounds of Johannes's claws as he stepped back. I thought I heard the spaniel cough. Go ahead, he spat. See what happens when you blink first. Not a soul will believe her. You barely believe her. I believe her, Cuthbert spoke quietly. Or maybe it was just because he was further away now. The spaniel laughed. And yet you had to dredge up some waste of life from the regulars as a stud. If you thought anyone else would believe a woman, you'd have been out about it. But you didn't. You got yourself a different man to blame, and a new lie to tell. Where did you even find someone so self-loathing and desperate to fess to another man's spawn? You stink of desperation. This whole house does. And for what? How much better off is she now, knight? As long as she's safe from you. She's better off. I would have given to this family what it so dearly lacks. The spaniel raised his voice, that growl still simmering under every word. Honour, a bloodline, perhaps even instilled a sense of obedience and respect for the greater gender in that harpy of a woman. His voice fell in tone at that, but was no less threatening. But, do as you please. Go to the authorities. See whose word they value. Even if they gave her any credence, I can bear the shame of an illegitimate heir. Can your family? Can she? I heard Johannes turn, and his voice faded as his footsteps retreated. If they knew, his voice echoed quietly as he left the man behind in the lamp closet, that you had tried to force your way into this family, you would be executed. What the Spaniel did after that, I do not know, because I had fled from the crawl space, my desire for silence lost. My feet pounded down the empty, cramped corridors until I sprung from the dining room servant's exit, colliding into a crowd of newly arrived guests, shoving past them roughly with little care anymore for who they were or what impression I was making upon them. I don't think I'd ever run that fast up those stairs. Delilah's room seemed miles away. I tore down the hallway of the east wing. Cuthbert's words echoing in my mind. Force your way into this family. He couldn't mean. My gut began to ache, and by the time my footpads were skidding against the ancient floorboards in front of Delilah's doors, there was a sickening coil of revulsion and dread building inside me, fearing what my fiancé would tell me. In the recess of my mind, I already knew, but I wanted to hear it from her. 
I slammed my fist repeatedly on the door, calling out her name at the top of my lungs. I realised I must have sounded terrifying to the already distressed woman, but I wasn't going to let her shut me out. Not any more. Delilah, I cried out once more, before there was an answer. Not in the form of a voice, but in the click of a door unlocking. I pushed inside, slamming the heavy wooden door behind me as soon as I was behind it. The young girl was standing just a few feet away from me, tear-stained and frightened. I realised with a pang of guilt that I was at least partially responsible for some of that fear. I tried to settle my hackles and lowered my lips back over my teeth again, putting out a paw for her tentatively. Delilah, I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be so loud, and I'm not angry at you. I promised quietly, coaxing her to me with a gentle beckoning gesture of my paw. She stood just a few feet from me, frozen in place. She looked to me, her freckled muzzle quivering. It was all there. It had always been there, in the way she sheed from me, from any man, in our anger. In the way she always seemed poised to run, like she'd been hurt before. In that instant, I knew my fears were correct, and she saw that I knew. Before I could say a word, she rushed to me and threw herself into my arms. I wrapped her up immediately in a tight embrace, moving one paw through the fur along the back of her neck, the other one around her waist. Her shaking turned to sobbing almost immediately, and this time I didn't care. She was clinging to me like I was driftwood in Maelstrom. I could feel this horrible, racking pain every time she sobbed, and I was becoming confused as to whether the pain was hers or mine. The only thing beginning to eclipse the grief inside me was the anger. I steadied my voice as much as I could, only to ask her, How did it happen? I spoke quietly into her ear, trying not to make the question and demand. He came, Lord Irving. He came to the father's officer's ball every year. I, I never even knew him well. Her tears were sinking into the collar of my coat. Father said his family had a fleet in the southern seas, but they lost most of their ships in a bad storm. I swallowed. An entire fleet? That was hell of a tragedy, for the storms in the southern seas were notoriously bad. Lord Irving, Jeremiah, she all but whispered the man's name, like a curse. He was supposed to inherit it, but then they lost the fleet. Ever since then he wanted to combine our families. I barely knew his name, but last year. She turned her eyes down to the floor, the wide brown orbs lost in a memory. He, he asked me into the garden and he proposed to me. She turned her face up suddenly to look at mine, eyes wide. I didn't even turn him down, she insisted desperately. I, I only said that I did not know him well that I would have to think on it and talk to my father. Her eyes fixed on the floor again, and she went utterly silent for a few seconds. At length, she continued in a timid, frightened tone. He told me there was nothing to think on, that we were intended for one another by God, that we would make pure children. Her whole body shuddered, and that we were already as good as wed. I didn't want to hear any more. I could feel my pulse thudding in my ears. I could smell her fear. 
Every fibre of my body was screaming at me like it did before we boarded an enemy vessel. I wanted blood. Somehow, I stayed there, holding her. It took everything I had. Any man who could hurt this gentle, kind, tiny little creature in my arms was a monster. And that monster was downstairs, right now. We were in the garden, she repeated quietly, her gaze lost and unfocused. I know he could smell that I was in heat. I shut my eyes. Maybe he planned it that night because he knew, she murmured sadly. He told me he would make me his wife, and then... Her voice fell off at this point, like the words were there, but she hadn't the breath for them. I wish I could have said something to comfort her. Anything, but I was too angry to speak. She cast her eyes aside. I kept it all inside me, for as long as I could. I didn't want to disgrace my father, my family, myself. Her voice broke down on the last word. I tried to stop him, but he was so strong. I had to pull away from her at this point, because I was earnestly afraid of myself and my rage. I stalked a few paces from her, my mind a wild tangle, my body numb. I had been in the military, I had been in the navy, I'd been to war, I'd lost friends, lovers, and seen my share of despicable acts perpetrated on both. But right now, the images stirring in my head disturbed me on a level I couldn't even comprehend. You hear about these things happening, you hear about it all the time. Everyone agrees that it's despicable, it's terrible, but I knew this girl. To think that a man would abuse her was literally inconceivable. I could not come to grips with the thought of it, or what should be done about it. No. I set my brow at that. No. That was the simplest answer in all of this. Nothing else made sense right now. But what needed to be done was very, very clear. Luther, Delilah began, putting a hand out for mine. I left her reaching for me, strode out, pulling open the brass-hinged doors with enough force to bang them into the perfectly papered walls of Delilah's room. I heard her call out my name frantically once more, and turned my ears from the sound, lest it shake my resolve. The door slammed behind me. I would apologise to her when this was all done. I was nearly at the stairs before I saw Cuthbert. The damned man was everywhere in this house today except the one place he should have been. He cut me off, putting his broad, gloved paws out to stop me by the shoulders, and I shoved past him. Get out of my way. I gave one warning growl. One. That's all he got, and that was a courtesy. Luther, stop. He grabbed me forcefully by the shoulders this time, and I spun and shoved him off of me. Much to my shock, he actually fell back into the wall, back thudding into and rattling a large wooden frame. I stood there, ears tipped back, the barest tint of my teeth showing. I hadn't realised I was that strong these days. Johannes was a big man, if lean, but that hadn't taken as much as I'd thought. I saw the realisation in his eyes, too. I wasn't the scorny little peasant he'd dug out of prison. It's amazing what five months of good food and exercise can put in your body. In the Navy I'd been in a fight every other day, either for entertainment or just to establish the pecking order. The whole while I'd been here in this prim proper place, I'd had no need, but now that familiar rush was surging through me, 
and for once I had a damned good reason. I lunged slightly at Johannes with one foot, challenging him. He didn't flinch, nor did he move. Luther, he spoke evenly. This isn't necessary. I am not your enemy. Calm yourself. Calm, I snarled. That's what's important, isn't it? You're all so damned obsessed with propriety, so fixated on civility. Everything's so goddamn calm. You all sat back and let a man violate Delilah. I thought for a moment he almost looked hurt at that. His grey eyes fell to the carpeted floor, lost. I failed to protect her, he spoke, voice laden with guilt. Do something about it, then, I howled in righteous indignation. How long have you known about this? Since we discovered her condition, he admitted ruefully. She tried to hide it for as long as she could, but the maids knew something was wrong. She admitted to everything to us when her father and I questioned her about it. Her father knows! I swung my arms out to my side, only to keep them from striking the wolfhound. How could the both of you know about this and do nothing? Don't belittle the pain and tribulation this has caused for all of us, Johannes bit back. Ever since we knew of it, it has been a daily struggle trying to keep this family, this house and that girl from falling apart. The misery it has cost us is immeasurable. My heart bleeds for you and the old man, I curled a lip, derisively. It must have been awfully difficult sitting on this, doing nothing, while that girl suffered. You have no idea how difficult. He shoved himself off the wall and came at me, stopping but a few inches from my face. Do you not think I am as outraged as you are? Don't presume you understand my pain. You have known that girl for five months. I have known her since she was a child. She's as close to me as one of my own daughters. I lowered my snarl slightly at that, but more than at his words, at the tremble in his voice. It reminded me of the way he'd spoken to the spaniel in the lamp closet. Restraint pulled taut to its breaking point. Decades of discipline on the verge of cracking. Outrage is easy, he shook. Anger is easy, and trust me, I have plenty of it. Do you have any idea how often I lie awake at night, contemplating breaking my oaths to the kingdom and lord, to the knight's code, to every law in this land, just to see justice done to that man? I don't understand how a law could protect a man like that, I gestured frantically down the stairs. How is he free? Why can the law and church convict a man like me for having consensual relations with other men, but they can't convict a rapist? This isn't about you, he growled, and don't make it so. No, it's about my daughter. I heard the voice seconds before my head turned to regard where it had come from. The third footstep, the clack of a cane alongside his two heavy footfalls, confirmed it was Lucius before I'd even looked. I turned an angry expression on the Lord withholding none of the venom I'd shown Cuthbert. I'm the only man here who gives a damn about your daughter. I lowered my brow over my golden eyes. You're an ignorant, arrogant child, Luther. Lucius quirked a jowl. You barely know my daughter. You aren't even part of this family yet, so do not pretend you have any idea what is best for her welfare. I'm sorry, sir, Cuthbert murmured from where he stood. I didn't intend for him to hear. It's fine, Johannes. Lucius gave a long, tired sigh, and then a rumbling growl. I honestly never expected that bastard would be so bold to show himself at this house again. 
is seemed in one piece, so I congratulate you on your restraint. I'd only barely noticed his presence when our young friend here nearly knocked over Captain Shaw on his way up the stairs. I don't know what happened between you and Lord Irving, Johannes, but our cattle dog here was playing spy in the servants' hallway, so it can hardly be helped. Cuthbert looked back at me at that, his ears perking. He looked annoyed, perhaps because I'd caught him in his moment of anger with Irving in the lamp closet. It doesn't matter how I knew, I belted. It's unbelievable that you kept it from me to begin with. How the hell can letting that man walk unpunished for his crimes be what's best for your daughter's welfare? I pinned my eyes straight on the old lords, my tone desperate. He raped your little girl. The old spaniel's eyes closed, and the hallway went deathly silent, my words echoing through the walls. The silence, if anything, made it very clear to me how far our voices carried. I shut my muzzle. Say it louder, Lucius said at length, opening two sad brown orbs, so everyone downstairs can hear you. Better yet, scream it, so my daughter a few rooms down can hear you again. It's not as though she isn't already reminded of it each and every day with that man's children growing inside of her. I bit my tongue. God, Delilah. I had honestly forgotten we were about thirty feet from her door. I couldn't imagine what a state she must have been in right now. I know the anger you're feeling right now, Luther, Lucius said, the weariness in his voice evident in every word. But ever since Irving violated my family, the pure hatred in his voice was palpable. My daughter was put in a desperate, terrible situation, with very few options laid before her. We have chosen the most difficult for ourselves, because it is what's best for her. There isn't a day my self-restraint is not tested, believe me. I know this may be hard for you to understand now, but the best chance Delilah has for a good future is if that man is never tried for his crime. This whole travesty needs to remain as it is, out of the public eye, as though it never happened. That's an insult to her honour, and yours! I trashed my tail. Hang my honour, Lucius barked. I don't give a damn. It is precisely my daughter's honour I am concerned over. I know you're lower class, but you have to have some idea of how this would play out if we brought it to the law. It's her word against his. He claims she was willing. I haven't known your daughter for half a year and I know that's a lie. It doesn't matter, Lucius stated. The bottom line is, Luther, she is a woman. He let that hang poignantly in the air for a moment or more, and I swallowed back at the reality. Throughout my whole life, I'd had even less occasion to become acquainted with females than most mariners. I'd never really had any grasp of how helpless they must have felt until now. Cursed by a random chance, at birth, it was no wonder Delilah and I got on so well. Fighting the insurmountable wall of sex and sexual identity, we were more kindred spirits than I realised. Only I'd been able to raise my fist to defend myself. This girl was literally barred from even speaking against the wrongs done to her. I lowered my brow, paws collapsing into tight fists at either side of my body. It might have been a sexist thing to say in and on itself, but I wanted to fight that girl's battle for her. Maybe afterwards, we could work on her ability to defend herself from now on. I don't care, I stated, bluntly, 
This will not stand. I will not let it. Lucius arched an eyebrow, warily. What exactly do you intend to do, Luther? Because I warn you, if you threaten the reputation of my little girl, I will send you back to where you came from. No questions asked. I have taken great pains to keep myself from making any foolish mistakes that would risk all of this coming out into the open. And Irving may not let on as much, but he has vested interest in keeping it that way as well. You could fight him in court. You have money, influence. So does his family. More so, in both areas, Lucius admitted with what sounded like shame. The Irvings would crush this family if they thought we threatened their treasured son in any way. They may have lost their fleet, but they are still a wealthy, influential, connected family, and that boy is their prized progenitor. They will not let his name be slandered. They have high hopes for marriage for him. Then tell the church, I insisted. All their fire and brimstone has to be good for something. I didn't pay much attention as a child, but I know rape is a sin. A primary sin. Cuthbert's voice was low and threatening. Unforgivable. It is a violation of the body in the holiest act of union. The greatest gift God bestowed upon us. The ability to breed. To create life anew. He turned his dark grey eyes to the both of us. His arms crossed over his chest like a guardian statue. The penalty is execution by hanging. The church will disgrace my daughter as well as Irving, Lucius growled. I thought I heard a hint of hatred in his tone I often felt when I spoke of our country's great religion. I wouldn't blame the man. Her children will be declared bastards, no better than mixed breeds of the lowest rung. They will be born of sin, and she will be stained by it. I have spoken to her of this option. She does not want it. Not for her own sake, but for theirs. The children will be rejected from all good society for the rest of their lives. They will be untouchable. His knuckles tensed over his cane handle, his eyes falling to the floor. Should her children not survive the pregnancy? We have both decided this is an acceptable option. Delilah is willing to bear the shame. She just does not want her children to bear it as well. I grit my teeth. None of this was an acceptable option, so far as I was concerned. Delilah didn't deserve to be punished again. Nor did her children, nor did this family. He can't fight your family, or cause you any more pain if he's dead, I finally uttered. The way the two men slowly turned to regard me, I knew this was something they had both already considered. Lucius even exhaled, slowly, although it was Cuthbert who was the first to speak. Murder is not an acceptable option. And it's a foolish one, he spoke quietly. But you have considered it. I levelled a gaze across the hallway at him. He looked away, uncommon for Johannes in any situation. He's too well protected for a common thug, Lucius stated, matter-of-factly. And anything more planned out would arise suspicion with the law that a family of means was involved. The incident between Lord Irving and my daughter might not be known, but the fact that he and his family have been fixated on acquiring my fleet is well talked about in our circles, and a subject of some scandal. By now, everyone knows at the very least that his proposal was rejected, and there is much speculation as to why. The waters between our families are tense. I am the first man the authorities would look to, if he were to meet an unfortunate end. There is another option. 
Cuthbert grated out, and I could tell it was a subject he'd been leaning on for some time with the old man. That is not an option, Johannes, Lucius stated firmly, disregarding the fact that you have a family that needs you in their lives very badly. I saw the wolfhound's jowls twitch at the old man's cogent point. You must have a legitimate grievance to issue a duel, and save the subject we're trying to keep out of public light. Neither you nor I have any other quarrel with Jeremiah Irving. Duel? I questioned sharply. A formal duel between two lords is a legal, recognised manner of settling disputes. Cuthbert began, but Lucius cut him off with a snarl. Do not put this in his head, Johannes, he warned. This is precisely the sort of thing that young, stupid men lose their lives to. Isn't that the damned point? I pressed. If there is a legal way to kill that bastard, why haven't you taken it? Because, Cuthbert started, but was again interrupted by Lucius. Because Johannes has seven children at home, a wife he loves dearly, and no call to issue a duel against a man who is both wholly unconnected to him and outside his sphere of society, Lucius bellowed. And neither do you, young man. He stabbed a finger in my direction. I don't even want to hear this spoken of again. Do you understand me? The best thing either of you can do for my daughter right now, if you truly care about her, is to stay by her side. She needs a living guardian, a living father, and a living husband. Making a corpse of yourselves will only cause her more grief. I don't know, Johannes. I would have liked your chances, I muttered. Thank you. He glanced over at me, his expression still looking defeated. But Lord Denholm is correct. I have no standing, technically, and no connection with Irving. I could not justify it, as much as I fantasized about the possibility. Also, seven children, I murmured, then stopped myself and looked up at him, arching an eyebrow. Honestly, Johannes, really? Seven? He only barely hid a smile. And two more on the way. My wife is beautiful. She must be. Are either of you listening to me? Lucius stomped his cane in frustration. I glanced back at him. How exactly are one of these duels issued? I asked. I am not educating you any further. Fine. I reached down to my neckline, undid my cravat, then ran my hands down my waistcoat, undoing the buttons until I had sizably more freedom of motion in my chest and arms. I stretched my shoulder out with few rolls as I pushed past Lucius and headed towards the stairs. I'll figure it out on my own. Luther, he roared, and I heard his objections amongst some of the very colourful language I honestly hadn't known the old man was capable of all the way down. I heard him following me, but I had two working legs and youth on my side, a very unfair advantage. Cuthbert did catch up with me but only right before I'd made it down the stairs. You've never even met Irving, Luther, he insisted, following at my heels as I began navigating my way through what had become a very crowded hallway towards the great room. A lot of people were looking my way, likely because my formal wear was partially undone, and I was being none too polite in pushing my way through the crowd. I honestly didn't give a damn about what these people thought anymore. That could all wait. My eyes were scanning the room for the big spaniel. Cuthbert was still talking. You don't even know him, he insisted. You have no call to issue a duel against him. You need a grievance against the man. 
Then I'll make one. I split from the stunned wolfhound as I finally found my target. The stocky, tricolored dog was standing near a large group of well-dressed ponces. It was big, for a spaniel. Five or six inches on me, at least, and probably about a hundred pounds. The good life had certainly been treating him well. He was supposedly navy, but in the clothing these people wore it was hard to tell how much of him was firm. I rolled up my sleeve. Well, I'd never had a problem picking a fight with bigger dogs before. Some of his friends saw me approaching before he did. He finished off the wine in a glass he was holding in his left hand, before slowly turning to regard me. Too slowly. His broad, thick muzzle, when turned in profile, was almost too perfect of a target. I nailed him dead on in one blow, my knuckles resounding with the familiar pain of landing a punch partially in the unforgiving surface of someone's cheekbone. I got a very satisfying crunch from his jaw as a tooth cracked, and I sealed my canines together in a grin as he spun into the table behind him. He tumbled partially over the edge and ripped down the tablecloth and several sets of silverware and plates as he clutched at it frantically to keep himself moderately upright. He looked stunned and disoriented for a full ten or fifteen seconds, and I heard chairs tipping over and the rapid succession of footfalls as the crowd parted around us. And then he was just staring at me, gape-jawed, in shock. Get up, soldier. I nodded my chin at him. I won't hit you again while you're down. He finally bared his teeth at me, the left side of his jowls beginning to bleed. He shoved himself upright, knocking over the chair in front of him and sending it spinning across the floor a few feet. So there was some power there. The hell is on your mind, madman? He demanded, around what had to be a swelling cheek. Who are you? Luther. I shook out my hand, cracking my knuckles. I was getting out of practice at this. Who? He looked confused. Just Luther is fine, I said. The room had gone very silent, save low murmurs. Somewhere, I was all but certain Cuthbert was watching, but he had yet to intervene. Everyone was giving us a wide berth. What the hell is the meaning of this? He howled. I heard you had designs on my girl. I raised my voice so all could hear if they chose. I began to shove off my jacket. I wanted to lay down the law with you, make it clear whose ground you're treading on. He lifted his lip in a mixture of derision and confusion only for a few seconds more. Then his eyes widened just slightly before realization dawned on him. You're the scum that old fool's heiress is marrying. Scum? I tossed my jacket over a nearby chair. Now that sounded like an insult on my person, sir. He sneered. The insult is that you're even permitted on pedigree grounds, mongrel. But then, with you marrying into the line, I suppose we can't call the Denholm line pedigree any longer, can we? His eyes were fixed over my shoulder, and I just knew that Lucius had stepped into the room that moment by the angry grin that crept over the spaniel's features. Shame. They used to have so much promise. Yeah, the way I hear it, you've still got your sights fixed on my woman's inheritance. I challenged him in the most low-crass drawl I could dredge up from many nights spent at dockside boarding houses. Back off, I barked. She's marrying me. Those are my pups in her belly. He smiled in a way that made me feel sick inside. Are you sure? He rumbled. 
I arched an eyebrow, feigning ignorance. What do you mean? He held the stir for a moment longer, then began to cross the table length separating us, stepping over the scattered remnants of the table's contents. For a moment, I was honestly concerned he might out his sins against the poor girl, just to spite me. But I was a good judge of people, and I'd never lost a game of chicken. He chose the coward's way out. Only that if the heiress of Denholm was base enough to bend over the likes of you, that she might have done so with half the docks, he chuckled. Irving, Lucius bellowed from across the room. I will not tolerate such crass, baseless insults against my family in my own house. Leave. Now. Irving levelled a finger across the room at the old man, shouting back. You invited this low-class, worthless scum into your house, Lucius. You have shamed yourself and your entire family by associating with such refuse and allowing him to breed your little harlot. You will never... I cut him off, swinging a paw up to clamp him by the wrist and yanking it backwards to the small of his back before kicking him in the back of the knees. The heavy door crumpled like a sack of flour, not expecting to suddenly lose his balance, and I vaguely thought I saw one of his knees slam down onto a fork. He cried out in surprise and I released him. I could have had him in a pin in seconds if I'd wanted. This was going to be easier than I thought. You know what, Irving? I stepped around him, stalking over the serving tray and its scattered contents. I'm starting to feel disinclined towards you. I'm really disliking the insults, both on myself and my wife-to-be. I'd go so far as to say I have legitimate grievance with you, one I might want to see settled. You attacked me, he spat blood. Good brawls how a scummy lower-classers settle our differences, I shrugged. You went and made it personal. And what the hell do you think you're going to be doing about it? He snarled, pushing himself back up onto his feet, warily. I think he'd gathered by now that he wasn't a match for me in a fight. He might have had some strength on me, although I'd have to get hit by him to be certain of that, but he was just too damn slow. How about a duel? I smirked down at him. What was left of his superior expression disappeared entirely at that as did all conversation in the room. I hadn't even realised how many people had been murmuring quietly until that moment, because it went dead silent. You are mad. He gave a very forced, nervous smile. Some would say, but it's still a legitimate challenge. What say you? A duel is to the death, you simpleton. I am aware. I narrowed my eyes. Again, silence consumed the room. What say you, Irving? Cuthbert spoke from somewhere behind me, his deep, heavy voice commanding all in the room to ask the very same question in their minds. For a brief flicker of a moment, I thought I saw fear on the spaniel's face. Every eye in the room was fixed on him. He had no escape, save obvious public cowardice. I knew many a man who would gladly taken that, to avoid death, but this was a pedigree. Fine, he bore canines at me. I accept. Choose your time of death, lowborn. One day from now ought to be fine. Right here, the garden, I smirked. Good. They can bury you where you fall and fertilise the roses, he sneered. As defendants in this challenge, the choice of weapon is mine. Like I gave a damn what I killed him with. The man was a sack of shit. I had almost two decades of real combat experience behind me. I'd kill him with a spoon if I had to. Fine, I shrugged. Name your weapon. He grinned darkly. Flintlock pistols. 
I tried not to show my surprise. From behind me, I heard Cuthbert give a long, exasperated sigh. I quirked my head, arching an eyebrow. You want to fight to the death with guns? I doubt you have your own, so I will provide a matched set. The man straightened his waistcoat out over his midsection and smoothed out his lapels. He still had wine and some kind of egg custard on him, so it did little to alleviate the problem, but I honestly couldn't find the humour in it at the moment. Guns. I'll see you on the morrow round this time, then. The spaniel snuffed once more at me, ran the back of his paw along his jawline, wiping away the thin trail of blood. Sunset. The crowd parted around him as he headed out, all but ignoring Lucius on his way out the door. Prepare yourself. And then he was gone. The room remained silent, and I scratched at my scalp introspectively. Cuthbert stepped out to my side and lowered his head, so he could drop his voice and I'd still hear him. If you had listened to me, I would have warned you about the rights of the defendant, and the likelihood that he would not choose a melee weapon. Well, I scratched somewhat nervously at my next scruff. Firing pistols can't be terribly different from firing crossbows. Ensuring a flintlock fires at all is a trained skill, and even then, it is less accurate at ten feet than a crossbow at fifty. He clasped a hand on my shoulder. All of this, of course, is a moot point, because you're piss poor with any ranged weapons. I assumed a duel would involve swords, I muttered. Next time you're going to put your life on the line, Luther, consult with me over your decision, and I'll tell you if you're being a jackass.